Christians. I was still really passionate about the all-age, all-stage expression. And as the church leadership was wanting to move into uh, new ideas in the homogeneous unit principle, then, yeah, I thought it was um, also amazing opportunity that I'd had to be at Geimer and Lincoln for so long. Like, I think I was the first or at least one of the first people in Sydney to be ordained to their own church that they grew up in. So from you know nearly 35 years at being at Guy Ranglican Church, being in ministry at Guy Ranglican Church for 20 years, I felt like that was the most amazing privilege. So I was really sad to resign and move on, but I was also very thankful to do that. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. It's lovely to have you with us again, and of course, Stuart, it is lovely to have you with us as well. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Joel. How are you? Good, and yourself? I'm um, excellent, thank you, um, because we are now kind of at the end of season one of the Shock Absorber. There's some exciting things to talk about, but first, as always, we like to start with a movie, but we have decided to can my idea of actually using any any of my actual uh, movies because they don't really apply to anything, but your current uh, movie Into the Wild that you've chosen today does apply and is applicable to what we're talking about today. Yeah, well, when we were talking about movies, one of the movies that we were thinking that we could talk about is something that was uh, something that came out in the 2000s because actually the end of Sorrel Revival Youth Ministry at Glimmer Anglican Church was the end of the 2000s. So we picked a movie to look at today, which is Into the Wild. So Into the Wild is directed by Sean Penn. And it's a story about a, a young guy called Christopher who's a young adult, he's a graduate, and instead of uh, immersing himself in the world of professional money-making and careerism, he decides he wants to renounce all his possessions and hitchhike across America. And apparently the movie's based on a book, and that book is actually based on a real-life experience of a young guy. And it's called uh, Into the Wild because his dream to replace the possessions that he's got is to hitchhike all his hitchhike all the way to Alaska and live in the wild in Alaska. It's a wild idea. It's a wild idea. Unfortunately, it doesn't end real well for him. <laughs> um, spoiler alert. But he um, yeah, he passes away in the wilderness. So that's really sad. But it's also an incredibly beautiful movie. So he meets all sorts of different characters on the way. And basically, it's a movie that just you know asks us to question what we hold as important. And I think what I liked about the movie was that his adventure was Alaska. For me, I think, Christian ministry in the local church is an adventure and it's actually about living differently to the way everybody else lives because as a Christian we're actually living our lives serving Jesus and following Jesus and I think that's just the most awesome adventure you could possibly have so that's why I chose a movie for today. You will probably die eventually but maybe not in the ca- in the way that he did. Yeah, hope so. <laughs> yeah, hope, hope it'll be a little bit longer. Yeah, that's right. be up to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so last episode we discussed that Sorrival went through a lot of change in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. And you put that down to a lot of generational change happening. Um, yep. Also, you pointed to two particular events that actually made you realize that, hey, perhaps we are maybe institutionalizing a little bit. We're going to need to shake things up a bit. What were the lessons that you were learning at that time? Yeah, well, as we said in the last episode, if the 90s was a time of experimentation, then the 2000s was more of a time of consolidation, like trying to work out what we'd learnt through the 90s and continuing to try and experiment in the future for sure because we were constantly uh, in a in changing environment and we're having younger and younger people coming and joining our ministry with us. So we were still f- seeking to be flexible. But some of the lessons we learnt were things like... The uh, commitments was the one commitments. that you brought up. Yeah, that's a great one. So uh, the commitments was 
our uh, desire was to seek to grow young Christians to maturity in Christ using the Bible to be committed Christians. And we were hoping that um, young Christians would feel involved in in the youth ministry, that they'd be committed to serve and learn from Jesus, how to grow in their love for God and love for others. And so a core part of that was we had a youth leadership team, but we wanted to give young people an opportunity to be part of serving with us and have an opportunity to serve without the responsibility of leadership. And so that's why we started that group called The Commitments. And The Commitments were an opportunity for young people who wanted to grow as committed Christians to learn how to love as Jesus teaches us to love. So, yeah, that was a definitely a lesson we learned that was really valuable because it was often people who'd been in The Commitments group that would then go on to become youth leaders in Soul Revival down the track too often. That's exactly what I did. So I became a commitment, I think. And then I went back to, I'd come up through the Soul Revival youth system, our youth ministry. Then we went back as leaders from year seven and then we led back through. But we were also going on Saturday night and attending as commitments and then going to Sunday night church as well. Yeah, I know. And it sounds a lot just even thinking of it, but it was really exciting because we were actually like a big group of friends. And I think what was really exciting about Soul Revival Youth Ministry was that the youth leaders were actually spending time socially with each other and inviting their non-Christian friends to come and hang out with them as well, as well as asking their uh, young teenage uh, youth members as they hit 16 17 they'd start coming on Saturday night as well and it was it was really organic and it was like a really a really nice community and the other thing I think we learned through the commitments was that um, often you might see mission and discipleship to youth kind of categorized in two separate places like sometimes people talk about the fact that the more time people spend with Christians is less time to spend with non-christian people and so there's this sense that maybe mission is diminished if people spend more time with each other but what we found fascinating was that the more time we spent with each other a lot of the young people felt like the action really was in the church and so they were excited to be there and they're excited to ask their friends to come along quite naturally and as we said in previous podcasts soul revival grew over a 20 year period 80 percent of the people who came along to soul revival were from non-christian backgrounds and yet we spent all that time together like you were describing so we sort of challenged that paradigm that you know more time in church means less time in mission i think actually for our for for us more time together actually got us to feel more ownership and more excitement to share with other people i remember you in a previous podcast mentioned that instead of doing ministry with the church they're actually if you're adopting the model of going out all the time you're actually being ministered by society and culture instead so yeah well mark says has commented on that because mark says has written a lot of books in this area about uh, christians and their interface with the culture his experience was similar too. that uh, he often thought uh, when he was younger that the more non-christian uh, sorry the more christian young adults went to pubs and clubs and hung out with people in those sorts of places the more mission would take place but he also noticed that a lot more of the the Christians who went into those places for mission actually got evangelized to the pub scene than they did see people come to church. So there is this this uh, idea around that the more time we spend in non-Christian places, the more non-Christian people come to church. But I think our experience was similar to what Mark Sayers had seen. We, we saw a lot of people evangelized by the local clubs in the Sutherland Shire. And so when we actually started to make Saturday night a really fun 
uh, energetic time of community around God's word. We got excited about being together. We got excited about asking other people to come along and, and it actually increased mm-hmm. our mission. Yeah, it ended up being a place for that I wanted to be at every Saturday night. That yeah. was for me. And, and of course, people would still go to parties and they'd still yeah. go to other places. It wasn't an either or thing. Sometimes people think, oh, so if you're committed to Soul Revival Church or Soul Revival Youth Ministry, as it was back in the day, does that mean you don't go and do it? Of course you go to parties. Of course you go to pubs and go to other things. But um, I suppose what we did do is make that time in church just so exciting that we wanted to be there a lot. So Yeah. Uh, the next one you mentioned is a, is a local church. And how did you kind of see that as a principle that was really important to adhere to? Yeah, I think it's really important that the youth ministry is really strongly embedded and connected to the local church. And this, I suppose, is more of our interna- uh, intergenerational passion that we, we call an all-age, all-stage ministry, that if a youth ministry is going to be uh, ongoing and long-term, we think it's really important that young people are discipled by adults and they get to know a lot of the adults in the church. More and more people these days are talking about the fact how important it is that young people make really good relationships with adults in the church and it makes it more likely for them to stick around in church. So one of the reasons we started Soul Revival was in the late 80s, early 90s, we found that it was actually normal for teenagers to leave the local church and to not hang around. But the fact that we had this peer group on Saturday night meant that our retention of teenagers went through the roof. So instead of losing 80 to 90% of teenagers who just left the church, we're actually finding that 80 to 90% of the teenagers were sticking around at church because of those deeper uh, discipleship realities. And they knew some more older people at church. So at our church too, the other thing that was exciting was that our youth ministry and our kids ministry during the 2000s got really integrated and our children's ministry uh, led by Tracy and Tim were really good at actually being proactive and being really good mates with us as a youth ministry too. So I think that was also something we learned that having the, the local church ministries working together was a really valuable thing. And another thing I think that came out of that was that we saw that also having our youth leaders lead us all the way through the years was yeah. really noticeable the effect that had on us and that was a idea we kind of pinched from Janelli Anglican I yeah, think yeah, but also right. that we also had a couple of people actually come up through the youth ministry to be actually become ministers at the Guimere Anglican Church yeah that's right so so Fiona Francisconi who married Steve uh, she became one of the youth ministers Tim Baldwin had become one of the youth ministers before uh, he moved on to EV during the 2000s and after Tim moved on Matt Redman and Jai McMorty, again, two guys who'd been through the ministry. We all, uh, you know, Matt, Jai, Fee and I ran the ministry together. And it was a very exciting time to see that uh, development of young people, as you said. And as we said in previous podcasts as well, that the training was a really important part of what we were doing. Yes, exactly. And that's the next one, I suppose, is local church training you've mentioned. Yeah, what, um, yeah. Did that play a role in helping those guys come up through through the church and actually become ministers of the church? Yeah, I, I think I think starting with the commitments, you've got a bit of an internal leadership development program, I suppose, because the teenagers are already starting to uh, experience a bit of opportunity to serve. And then when they leave, left high school, there was an opportunity to join the Berea program. And the Berea training program was a place where uh, particularly those who uh, were uh, just left school could think through who do they want to be as a as a Christian you know what what did it look like to serve Jesus for the whole of their life and um, that led many people to into thinking about going to Bible college and so I think as we said in earlier 
podcasts, the um, there was about 20 people or so over 20 years who went into formal theological studies and went off to other places to serve in other churches. So that local training was really important as well, yeah. It's definitely, uh, it feels like it's building, it's helping you build some kind of momentum around that. It's like you're, it's not, it's not as if you're churning people out, but you're continually building up people to be able to disciple others, whether it's in the local church or outside the local church. Yeah, I think that's really true. And the next one uh, was the other principle you mentioned was local church being part of a local church movement. Yeah, well, again, as we said earlier, we tried something at the end of the 90s we called the Treehouse, where we got three churches together and we were really good mates with each other. Um, Over the next 10 years, we became really good mates with uh, a number of Aboriginal churches, with churches in Papua New Guinea, South Australia and and Tasmania. And we found that to be a really important part of ministry life. We're also really connected with other Anglican churches, being an Anglican church, and also with other churches in the Shire. And that was really exciting because what we wanted to try and help our young people to think about doing is be committed to your local church, but also be committed to uh, the kingdom of God right across all the local churches so that we were a church amongst churches. And at the end of the 2000s, around 2008, a local church, two local churches, Guymer Anglican and Guymer Baptist, uh, through the youth minister at Guymere Baptist, Steve, we thought we'd get together as a movement and actually take it to another level. And that was a really exciting 18 months because over an 18-month period, we started what we called the Soul Revival Jesus Movement. And obviously that was a tip of the hat to the earlier Jesus Movement in the 70s. But this idea of Soul Revival Jesus Movement was what would it look like if local youth ministries worked together? And we, um, over an 18-month period, we had about 20 churches join that movement and it stretched from Sydney all the way down the south coast and we would have um, group gatherings at churches that would have up to 700 young people come to those and one night at Guymere Baptist Church that we had a a Jesus movement night we had 70 young people give their lives to Jesus but what was really exciting was there was about um, yeah 10 or between 10 and 13 churches represented at that event that all the young people who made a commitment at that night were actually embraced by the by local youth groups and so these local youth groups had integrity in in and of themselves and then when they came together they were working as a big family so we found that as a really exciting uh, lesson as well and i feel like it, again that's a, a way of building momentum that you're talking about mm-hmm. so they're the four main lessons that you actually you're learning from what was actually happening with that generational change yeah that helped you to create a framework of ministry yeah now i think we kind of spoke about that last episode about theology strategy and practice what's the shock absorber framework if we should revisit that and see how that actually looks yeah well recently we've been putting a lot more effort into explaining that framework uh clearly too and and i think if we look back at the three big important things that the shock absorber needs to have it needs to have a theological foundation and then it needs to have a broad strategy of how to adjust to change. And then it needs to actually have a flexible practice. Okay, so theology, strategy, and practice. So what we uh, define our shock absorber theology as at Soul Revival is that uh, we summarize it as Jesus changes everything. And so Jesus changed everything when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And so we think that the atonement, where Jesus atoned for our sins on the cross and then gives us a way to be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other is a fantastic biblical foundation for our ministry. So that theological foundation comes for us at Soul Revival from our Reformed Evangelical heritage as well, that we are um, a Sydney Anglican church and 
our theology is the same theology as, as many Sydney Anglican churches have. And so that theological foundation is something we like to try and articulate and explain to our young people so that they really get a good idea from that foundation of how to read the Bible. So again, in Sydney, we really love biblical theology. In other words, seeing the story of, of God saving us uh, as it plays out across the whole Bible from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And, and what Jesus did on the cross is the high point of that story. And so that's a really helpful way, we think, to help focus ourselves. And when we talk about Matthew 22, 37 to 40, we're talking about the fact that Jesus says the most important thing is to love God and love others. And Jesus' demonstration of love is the most beautiful and greatest and impacting act of love ever. And so his service of us is so foundational to everything we are because he's done everything we need to be reconciled to God. And he builds the church and all we need to do is express that new reality as reconciled uh, people of God. And as we said earlier, the I really love Romans 12 where Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 and following he says from in view of god's mercy offer your bodies as a living sacrifice so i think it's also really helpful to see that jesus's death on the cross actually informs how we live now that we live uh, our lives to serve him and to serve each other and and when romans 12 unpacks there uh, that living sacrifice it talks about being part of a body and being part of a, a community of god's people who are who are seeking to disciple one another and reach out together in mission. And we all have a, a role to contribute to that. So I think that theology is really foundational and that's a good starting point. And it doesn't really change either. No, it doesn't change. Yeah, that's not the part that we experiment with. However, the strategy that comes from that is working out, okay, we have that theology and what does it look like to hold to that foundational theology in the particular cultural context that we're in, in the Sutherland Shire in our case? And so what we've summarised uh, our strategy as at Soul Revival is obviously community is really important, being an all-age, all-stage community. So we talk about this as our strategy. We say that strategy is about sharing the love of Jesus person to person, generation to generation, culture to culture, and place to place. So as individuals, we share the gospel and we uh, share the truth and love of Jesus. As generations we actually don't just hive off from each other and are independent of each other but generation to generation we share the truth and love of jesus and then we're not just seeking to share the the love and truth of jesus within our particular culture we're looking for opportunities to embrace difference and reach out beyond our culture to other cultures and that often involves us not just thinking of our local church but thinking of other local churches and doing that place to place and so that strategy is really helpful because it's helped us to express the the theology we have which is very uh, relational based on the truth of uh, the gospel if we accept the gospel then we're born again and as born again christians we actually get to to enjoy that reconciliation with god and with each other and uh, so we've we've thought about that sociologically as well and we've thought you know third place theory gives us a really nice framework for that in the local church because uh, as we've said in previous podcasts the the first place people live is in their homes the second place people are is in their workplaces and the third place is the communities that they belong to and so we thought what if church was such a community now during COVID-19 obviously we're all in our homes all the time in the first place but um the general idea is that that people are in those three places so we thought why don't we make 
our church like a third place community and that's why saturday night was really helpful to us as a youth ministry because it was a place where we could gather together around our foundation around the biblical teaching that we did each saturday night but that we could also enjoy real expressing the relationships that god's given us and serving one another and learning what it is to serve each other is that um strategy also encapsulating those four lessons that we talked about before there's a lot of a lot of that like captured at a higher level it feels like yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it starts from being uh, a committed Christian as an individual. And then I think to myself, being a committed Christian as an individual, I'm part of a local church. And as a local church, I'm actually going to be connected to other local churches and we're all going to minister together. And then the training piece is it's really important to continue to uh, make new disciples because in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go make new disciples. And so helping people to live as a disciple of christ and help them to disciple others and be on mission to others is really important yeah yep. and then so practice which is the third part of the framework yeah well i think i think what's really exciting about this framework is that, like you said earlier the theology doesn't change the strategy you know you can change your strategy depending on where you are but it's still really helpful to think of a strategy that helps you to express the new reality of your reconciles relationships with god and with each other but then the practice because it's built on such a firm foundation can actually change from place to place again so depending on different age groups depending on different locations discipleship and mission might look a little bit different in different places but it's still seeking to achieve the same theology and strategic goals so an example of that might be that if i was seeking to live my life as a young adult christian my discipleship and mission might revolve around my my work life or my uni life or you know that might be a certain you know reality uh, as i get older and i have kids then maybe i'm going to have different practices and different discipleship and mission opportunities so the 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 mission and discipleship that I'm actually doing as an individual might look a bit different to what you you might be doing at your age, Joel. You know, you're like 20 years younger than me or something like that. And so you're going to have different discipleship and missional opportunities. But if we're both seeking to have the cross of Christ as the centre of what we're doing and we're both seeking to work together in this shock absorber where you as a younger person is bringing together, you know, my, uh, you know, some of my wisdom from being a Christian on this planet for a bit longer, then together we're going to do more together. I suppose that's the the flexible practice yeah and living out again jesus's uh expression of community i think is how it's meant to be it's just depending on what the context is yeah at the time or where you are or your age I suppose. yeah yeah and a real practical example is the jesus beads that we talked about before when we first started jesus beads with youth ministry it was quite um a powerful tool for teenagers just to put them on and wear them around their wrist but when it came to kids' ministry, our children's ministry saw that tool and went, oh, that'd be great to develop that for kids. But then they needed to build a whole lot more around that to explain what it was to children. It was the same tool, but it was just slightly differently put into practice because teenagers could get it by just looking at it and understand what was going on. But children needed a bit more context. So yeah, the, the flexible practice is really important. And that's really important for us as culture changes. We need to keep changing regularly. So you're, you've kind of articulated now the four lessons that you were learning from the, those early changes in the 2000s and then that led you to be creating a framework of ministry which is the three lessons that we just, the three principles we just talked about. That's happening throughout the 2000s and how is that going in terms of being the local church that you're at? So at Guymer Anglican, we're seeing that probably following the homogeneous unit principle, that's kind of clashing a little bit in terms of 
how the strategy is for the shock absorber. How's that kind of playing out across Gaimir? Yeah, so the, the way I'd summarise that is in the early 1990s, the, sh- the homogeneous unit principle wasn't working for youth ministry at Gaimir Anglican Church anymore. So again, quick recap, the homogeneous unit principle is the idea that um, a local church like Gaimir might um, have a traditional service for uh, older Christians, it might have a contemporary family service for young families, and it might have a youth service for the young people. And the idea is that young people can reach out to young people and families can go on mission to families and older people can invite older people to come along to church. And so that principle was working across the whole of Gaimer Anglican Church for, say, 10 or 15 years. But over that time, the youth ministry, while there was a youth ministry operating, it didn't see many young people going to become young adults at church. So there was only a handful of young adults at church because most of the young people at Gaimer Anglican Church left the church when they graduated out of high school. Was your so favourite story of when you looked across the pew and there was actually no one there of your age? That's it, yeah. So once upon a time, we'd all pack in, 20 of us probably, into one pew and we'll pass notes, talk to each other about the surf and movies and stuff like that. And then the, we'd do church together and then we'd all go out afterwards together. But then over a period of about five years, though th- that number dwindled down to just myself and I was left there by myself yeah so that was quite a dramatic experience for me personally and that's what led us to try and look for an alternative to that homogeneous unit principle was there any other ways of doing things and by saying let's not just run a youth group but let's be a peer group of youth leaders so that the kids can grow up into our community with us that is part of Gaimer Anglican Church really strengthened Gaimer Anglican Church so some of the shock absorber and, and we came to call that the shock absorber because it was actually clear to us that as young people we'd come up with a new culturally um, helpful way of relating to people in our generation x uh at a grunt in the beginning of the grunge era when i think a lot of young people were looking for community and looking for deeper relationships so that connected then over the next seven years that group grew from about four of us to about 500 of us but even though by the late 2000s there was probably not the same number as there was in the 1990s. Uh, you know, we we had up to 500 people on our roll at the end of the 1990s, but in the 2000s, there was still about 250 young people at the church. And so what was really exciting was that there was a stable youth community because of this new approach to ministry that we had, the shock absorber. It meant that our youth community had reduced transience and it had reduced individualism, it had reduced consumerism, and it actually gave people uh, more opportunity to serve. And so I think what was exciting about that was that most of our young people by the end of the 2000s were hanging around at church and having families at church, and it was helping church to get really strong. And I think part of that too was that there was more mission effectiveness because of the all-age, all-stage nature of Soul Revival. Basically, there was 80% of the growth was from people of non-Christian backgrounds, and that meant that because they were hanging out with some other people who were different ages, they could ask more members of their family to come along to events too. Because if you're a youth and you become a Christian and you've got non-Christian parents, it's pretty hard to, in the homogeneous unit principle, it's pretty hard to bring your parents to something because it's just a youth service. But some of the small experiments we'd already made had given young people an opportunity to bring their parents and their aunties and uncles to to more stuff. 
And, of course, also it increased discipleship because a lot of those kids hung around because they got to know adults at the church as well. So you're experimenting with lots of things and you've seen, like, that growth is happening. But at Gaimia, they're still kind of really pursuing a different model. You're not really a very confrontational guy. Like, you don't like to upset people very very much. Did you try, you were trying to make that work within that kind of um, umbrella of a homogeneous unit principle, in a sense. Like, how was that translating across the church? It was was it coming up against like a kind of almost like a glass ceiling? Yeah, well, that's a good question because, as I said, the homogeneous unit principle wasn't working at the youth end in the early 90, 1990s, and that's why we tried this new approach. But the homogeneous unit principle was working for the rest of the church. So I think it did make sense for the rest of the church to maintain the homogeneous unit principle. And it was easy for us to dovetail into that because the people who went on Saturday night and Friday night to Soul Revival um, gatherings were also going on Sunday night to church. And so that was a, um, a way that we integrated into the rest of the church and so that there were kind of two strategies going. The other thing that was helpful was Soul Revival had the same theology as Guy Anglican Church. So both, both um, all, well, all the ministries within Guy Anglican Church were all based on uh, the same reformed evangelical theology so which is probably a good i mean a really the best point to to agree on oh yeah yeah so having the same theology just meant there was a different strategy in the youth ministry to other parts of the church but then again there were different strategies that work within different ministries in the church anyway and and over time we actually saw that there was a closer coming together of the strategies anyway so in the you know second half of the 2000s when Reg Piper came along to Guy Anglican Church. At that stage, Matt and I were working full-time, Jai was working part-time, and Fee was working part-time as members of the youth ministry. And Reg really helpfully encouraged Matt and I to get ordained. And so we went back and did some more study and got ordained as deacons in the Anglican Church, which was great. And uh, even though it was sad at the time, it was really helpful for Jai to also be encouraged by Reg to become... Uh, an ordained minister as well and he he moved to Helensburg and he became a deacon as well and so that was a really nice uh, progression in the partnership between the youth ministry and and the broader church at that point you're also leading the some of the the services on Sunday too is that right yeah that's true Um, Reg asked Lou and I uh, asked Lou and I to go to the morning service and be uh, assistant ministers for the well me to be assistant minister for the morning service and that was really cool too because a lot of the families because as you know over 20 years we some of our original members in soul revival have grown up and got kids themselves now and the group that did have kids yeah we moved to the morning service to continue to you know make more relationships with more people in that service as well so people who were going on saturday night were now also attending sunday morning services and sunday night services so that was a nice um intergenerational reality as well but a lot to do i suppose oh yeah well that's the commitment that was the hardest part yeah Yeah. and and the commit you know being committed is really good but we also were really concerned about doing too much too and trying not to burn people out so over the years we experimented with less meetings or more flexible ways of doing ministry stuff like that but we seem to be able to maintain that level of commitment for a long time so you've spoken about this the strategies of how kind of align hopefully aligning shock absorber and homogeneous unit principle strategies were there any practices that you had were able to streamline together as well yeah i think so i think the the practice of ministry 
on Saturday night was becoming more and more organic, I suppose. And we would have uh, seasons of activity and seasons of more relaxed expression. So some, some, some weeks we'd, you know, we might have a concert and have a band come along and have some fun with that. That took a lot of work and a lot more energy. But if the team of youth leaders felt a bit um, worn out from putting on that kind of a bigger night then maybe for the next term we might just sit back and not do much, just hang out with each other for a term. We actually had a name for that. We used to say that um, let's come and watch the grass grow because the activity in itself is not why we come along. It's just something that's an expression of who we are. So we like to think that we could get as much enjoyment out of just chilling back with each other as well. So some of those practices were things we played around with. So that was a time of consolidation for you. But at the same time, how did you guys stay creative? Yeah, so we, we thought we could continue to be creative in our practices by maintaining some of the creative things that we tried in the 90s. Like uh, we had a, a fun thing we used to do every now and again called the Magical Mystery yes, Tour. Yes, I remember. Do you remember that? Yes, Can I you do. remember any example of I when you went on I remember not sleeping for at least, what, 20, almost 24 hours. Yeah. We'd stay up all night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the idea, idea came from in the 90s of uh, Magical Mystery Tour by that awesome band, The Beatles. And... <laughs> But the movie they made wasn't real great. They basically got a bus and thought they'd make a movie by just driving around on a bus with a whole heap of circus people on a bus <laughs> and see what happened. And right. not heaps happened. We were definitely circus people. Yeah, we were performing yeah. It. But we thought that's kind of funny. Like, why don't we do a night where we get a bus and just drive around all night and see what happens? And so that was something we did almost every couple of years They're for quite ages. quite epic. Some of them were like very, very well thought out and very well planned. Yeah, well, they got better and better over time. So the first one was literally everyone got a name tag of Paul, George, Ringo, or what was the other guy? John. And so we all had a, a name tag. And we just drove around on a bus all night around the city. It was a fun night. But then over time, then stories started to get made up. And Matt Redman and Joy McMorty went nuts with it. And they had these epic stories that we went all night, um, traveled through time, and, and they made videos of it and stuff like that. So that was a really creative thing. Also, uh, we haven't talked much yet in the podcast about it, but um, from the early days, because we were super close and we were a bunch of mates, we thought, wouldn't it be good if we went on holidays once a year together and we called that the week away? And that was another thing that went for years and years and years. Every year we'd go, in the middle of the year, we'd go for a week away together and we'd have Bible talks in the morning and we'd have Bible studies, and but the rest of the day was kind of free time. We just, just free time, out. yeah. So those week aways were good. Everyone would always say that like if you were coming to Soul Revival and you hadn't come for a while or even when we were doing it at church, it yeah. was like that was the moment that you become like really ingrained into the actual ministry. You kind of understood and felt a part of it a bit more. Yep. Yeah, because exactly. you get to meet more people, hey, and spend more time That chatting. was the time that I made a commitment to be a Christian, was it? Really? In 2004, week away. Yep. Yeah, right. I've never I've never heard. Well, that's, that's a good thing about week away because we do the Bible talks and preach the gospel each morning and so... Then we would try and express that during the week. So that's that's really cool that that meant something to you. And then, on top of that, um, like a lot of other churches do, we take our year twelves away at the end of the year for schoolies. And uh, Jared and Haley are still doing that today. Doing still a great take, job. They're doing a great job of that. But that's the other thing. We had um, Jared join us in the late two thousands on team two, and that was really creative because. Over the years, uh, Kent Elliott in the early days and then Matt and Jai had been really creative and Matt and Jai continued to be creative with our design stuff. And then Jared came along and he was a designer and he was an assistant youth minister with us and he did a fantastic job of that. And then he and Haley got married, which was really exciting. So 
there was a lot of creativity that came out of Jared's ministry, particularly to the senior high young crew. It was um, always good to have some graphic designers about because they make always make things look a lot better. I remember yeah. even back in the uh, when I was going to youth that I could you can notice that Jai and Matt were spending a lot of time like mm. making sure things look good. So that was um, I think that was really effective. Yeah, it was a good good thing and and Jared too. And so uh, it was great having Jared on the on the team. And um, also even though we moved out of the factory. At Kirawi, we had uh, the house next door to the church, and we did that up, and that was called Solly's House for a while, and that was a lot of fun as well. So yeah, in the in the two thousands, we we continued to have a lot of creative stuff. But across the the episodes that we've done so far, we talked about how uh, doing what Sorrowai was doing is quite different to what a lot of people had seen at Gaimi or even other Anglican churches yeah. for a long time. Yeah, that's right. And it led to certain tensions during that time, but it really wasn't too bad and everyone was okay with it because we were seeing lots of people come to the church um lots of people come to christ and that was a, a good thing but looking back on it now it's kind of like well those tensions probably came to a head at a certain point how did that end up happening because obviously we're not part of going Anglican church anymore yeah so after 20 years the ministry had been a really beautiful part of going Anglican church and it really strengthened the church because there was a lot more young people who were sticking around at the church and the amount of youth mission was still continuing to be strong right up until the end of the 2000s. But over time, I think particularly with the Saturday night expression, the all-age, all-stage nature of Soul Revival uh, was, um, was, was different to the homogeneous unit principle. So even with Reg's reforms of how uh, I, I moved to the morning service and was a minister there as well as... Uh, being at Soul Revival on Saturday night, I think it was coming to a point where, as a church, it would be healthy to decide what's the big direction for the church into the future. And we had a new minister come, and he'd had a lot of experience in the homogeneous unit principle and was quite excited and passionate about having strong ministries to different age groups. I was still really passionate about the all-age, all-stage expression, and as the church leadership was wanting to move into uh, new ideas in the homogeneous unit principle then yeah I thought it was um, also amazing opportunity that I'd had to be at Geimer Anglican for so long like I think I was the first or at least one of the first people in Sydney to be ordained to their own church that they grew up in so from you know nearly 35 years at being at Geimer Anglican Church being in ministry at Geimer Anglican Church for 20 years I felt like that was the most amazing privilege so I was really sad to resign and move on, but I was also very thankful to do that. And um, it was actually really beautiful that after we resigned, because Matt resigned at the same time too, uh, we both had a passion for the all-age, all-stage expression. And as Guy Ranglican had a passion to move into even more homogeneous unit principle ministries, we we um, had resigned and in uh, in early 2012, Guy Ranglican Church held a party for us. And that was really poignant and really beautiful because there was about 200 Gaim Ranglicans came together past and present to share stories about Soul Revival uh, because it was actually the 20th anniversary of Soul Revival. And so it was kind of a double celebration and a, and a way to say goodbye um, because, yeah, celebrating all that time together at the church and celebrating 20 years of Soul Revival. And now it's time for a new era for Gaim Ranglican. And 
it was time for a new era for me and Matt and our family. Yeah, absolutely. I remember hosting that uh, celebration night, and it was it was a bit sad because you you'd been there for so long. So that makes a lot of sense. And after seeing what you'd done at that church, and but it was just to to kind of encapsulate what uh, was coming going to become a new era. And I thought I could read out something that you wrote in the briefing in 2008. This changes the postmodern emphasis on relevance as we strive for more effective discipleship, leading to stronger Christian identity. Church would then become a place where young people are taught to be loyal to Christ, each other, and other outward-looking groups of like-minded Christians. Their heightened community awareness and global perspective will increase their mission effectiveness, giving them clarity and the kind of support that produces continuity in ministry. Such a ministry would become a nexus in the local church for creativity, aspirational direction, encouragement, dynamism, relational depth, fun and celebration, while at the same time challenging our comfort zones and fostering intergenerational and intercultural relating and identity in Christ. And that was kind of that was the next chapter in Soul Revival. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a daunting prospect to plant a new church and wasn't expected by me. I, I didn't ever think that I'd be uh, planting a new church, but I think it was also really positive and and healthy for Guy Anglican Church to strike out in a strong direction and start a new era. And I think uh, the the opportunity to start a new church meant that um, it was like a different chapter that we could write for Soul Revival. An end of an era and a, a new place to start for Soul Revival. So what a great way to finish this, what we call the first season of the Shock Absorber podcast. And we'll be bringing you season two, which is the beginning of Soul Revival Church as a church on its own. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks, Joel. Thanks again for listening to the Shock Absorber podcast. Guys, that wraps us up for season one, the early years of Soul Revival. But stay tuned because very soon we will have season two, which is us planting Soul Revival Church in 2012 and taking us all the way up until where we are today. Guys, if you want to get in touch, you can get me on Instagram or Twitter, which is at Joel McMaster, or you can get Stu on Twitter and Instagram at, at Stu Crawshaw, or you can email him, Stuart, at soulrevivalchurch.com. Mm-hmm.